All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church of the CAM Consulting Annex. One again, want to thank Art and Cindy for graciously opening up for us, providing this facility. And with that, let's get started. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day and for providing for us so magnificently in every way. We thank you, Father, for the commitment and the uh, dedication that we have, that the people have for your word and for one another. We ask now, Father, that uh, in these new situations, we would continue to be able to just do what we always do, which is to have the word of God preached and to hear it and have it change our hearts. We ask this morning also, Father, that you watch over all the people, all the members of the body of Christ. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, again, welcome to our new location here at Camp Consulting. This is where we will be until we find a permanent location. But this isn't bad, right? Not bad at all. Very, I like it. You know, you guys are close and all that. I like it too. Well, that's really important that Sadie likes it too. Um, so uh, we are broadcasting live on Skype. So anything you say can and will be used against you. Um, once again, I just want to remind everybody that uh, we'll be hopefully moving soon from the old building, like moving stuff out. Probably going to need some help with that. We'll have more. Uh, we'll give you an update on that when we're ready to ask for your help. All righty, let's begin. Please turn your Bibles this morning to John chapter 5, verse 39. John chapter 5, verse 39. Title today's message is The Scriptures Testify About Me. Of course, these are the Lord's words. The Scriptures Testify About Me. Let's read the passage together and we'll get started. John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. You're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? As we saw last week, the Gospel of John is full of witness testimony. And it's the testimony about who Jesus is. You find this kind of testimony in each and every chapter of this Gospel. But as we saw last week in chapter 5, this testimony comes one after the other. It's the most concentrated passage in the Gospel of John, providing the witnesses, different witnesses, five as a matter of fact, and we saw that last week. There are, in just the passage between John 5.30 and John 5.47, five different credible witnesses take the stand to testify that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. Now, we're going to see today at one point that 
people on the witness stand are going to stop testifying about Jesus. And there's going to be a witness that comes in that is going to testify concerning the Jewish leaders. And we'll see that when we get to it. All right. So remember from last time, these are the different witnesses. First one we saw was God the Father. He is uh, mentioned as the witness to Jesus Christ in verses 32, 34, 37, and 38. We studied that last week. We also looked at John the Baptist, spent a lot of time on his testimony to the Lord, that he came ahead of him, that he testified that the Lord is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. And we ended last week on the third one, which was the works of Jesus, primarily but not exclusively his signs, because his works also include the word that he speaks, that the Father gave him to speak. This morning, we're going to pick up on that with the fourth and fifth witnesses. This passage that we're looking at today, we just read, um, has two more witnesses. One is the words of Jesus. The words that he speaks are also testifying about him. And then the final one, and the one we're going to spend the most time on today, are the scriptures. The scriptures, and particularly the writings of Moses. And we'll see why Jesus emphasizes that when we get to it. So this is the fifth final witness, and that's the scriptures themselves. And they particularly... We want to focus on the writings of Moses because that's what Jesus will do in verse 45 to 47. But verse 39 is the first statement about the fact that the scriptures testify about Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, the central issue in this passage we're in today, verses 39 to 47, is the willful unbelief of the Jewish leaders. Let's just focus on the central issue first. Okay. It runs throughout this passage. The issue is, notice the, the two words, the willful unbelief of the Jewish leaders. I, I, I emphasize willful because what we're going to see today is that this passage, particularly verses 44 to 47, explain why it is that unbelievers won't believe in Christ. It's a very important thing for us to understand. And so we're going to see that and what it says, what, what Jesus simply but powerfully says about that subject. Why, why are these men, the Jewish religious leaders, willfully unbelieving, not believing by their own will in Jesus Christ? And how do we then move, translate that into how we see people in our lives now who are unbelievers? And we're going to look at why that is this morning. So these men, remember, refused to believe three things. Okay, the first one is they did not believe, they would not believe that God the Father sent Jesus. That God the Father sent Jesus. So because of that, they also, remember, refused to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They just won't accept it. They won't also believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Even though we have these five witnesses that say that, the Father himself testifies the works of Jesus testifies that he's the Messiah and the Son of God. The works that he does could not possibly be explained um, by merely considering him a great prophet or a great teacher alone. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God and so forth. John the Baptist says it. He says, he says, this is, he says Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Only God can take away the sin of the world. And he, and he actually says this is the Messiah the Son of God. And that report definitely went back to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. So they heard that. Remember, they, they thought very highly of John for a while. So there was a point at which 
They were listening to every word he was saying. And he said it right out. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. They refused, no matter what, to believe that. To believe that God the Father sent Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah, or that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, again, the central issue, the unbelief of the Jewish religious establishment, and by extension, unbelief generally, okay? Now, th- this is, again, this. I want to show you how this breaks down, all right? The first two verses in our passage this morning, verses 39 and th- 40, Jesus describes the unbelief. He describes it, all right? Then, in the next two, next uh, four verses, verses 41 to 44, Jesus explains the reason why. Here's here's how I know that they don't believe. Why? What's the reason why they will not believe? And again, that's that. That's I think that we we all ask that, don't we? From when we we encounter people in our lives who simply won't believe. Our neighbors, perhaps our family members, um, people we even admire. They just refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is why? The question is why? And then in the last three verses, I hope you see that it's all centered around this issue of unbelief. Jesus gives the results, the consequences of that unbelief. All right. So it's, it's very well, as always is the case with Scripture, because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, organized. The description of the unbelief, the reason why the unbelief is there. And the results, the consequences of that unbelief. Now, I want you to notice here that Jesus asks two questions in this passage. He asks the most probing questions. I mean, he would ask, he would ask somebody, um, why is it that this is so? Or um, he asks questions about, like, who, who do you think you are? Over and over again, he's asking questions. It's a tremendously effective way of getting people to stop. And consider the issue that's in the question. We sometimes call those rhetorical questions. And he asks two of them, one in verse 44 and one in verse 47. Let's read both of them now. And I want you to notice what the issue is and what he says about it. Verse 44. Again, he's asking this question to the audience of his, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, and so forth. And he asked them this. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. That is that is the question. That's the question that every person needs to face in their life. They may not want to, but it remains. How is it? How can you possibly believe when you receive glory from one another and you not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? That's the first one. It's rhetorical. And it starts with the key question, how can you believe? The second one is in verse 47. This is the second question that Jesus asks these leaders in this section of Scripture. Notice what it asks, what he asked. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I hope you can see that in both of those questions. The key question is believing. How can you believe? How can you believe my words? In one, he describes them by receiving glory from one another, but not seeking the glory that is from the one and only God. In verse 47, he then indicts them on the fact that they had the writings that all they needed to recognize that Jesus is the Christ, and they didn't believe. They didn't believe Moses. 
Therefore, they're not going to believe Jesus when he says the same thing. Now, these are essentially, 44 and 47 are essentially the same question. How can you believe? They have the same answer, pretty much. Can't, and we won't. How can you believe? Well, as long as you're receiving glory from one another and can care less about the glory that comes from the one and only God, you can't believe. And we won't. If you do not believe Moses' writings, how will you believe my words? And the answer to that is we won't. If we won't listen to Moses, we're not going to listen to you either. So that's the overview of our passage today. And with that, let's now, as we always do, walk through this passage verse by verse. We'll start, of course, in John chapter 5, verse 39. We'll read it again. You search the scriptures. This is a great description. I want you to listen to this carefully. This is a great description of where the, the leaders are coming from. They definitely searched the scriptures. They were masters of the Old Testament scriptures, particularly what's called the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They did search. They did scrutinize. They knew every word. They knew every letter. But he says, because you think that in them you have eternal life. So, so the reason why they were confident about eternal life was because they knew the scriptures. Okay. Then he says the thing that will shock them the first time. He says a lot of things today that are going to just shock his audience. He never pulls his punches. We know that. It is these, the writings of scripture, that testify about me. There's that fit for witness, the testimony of scripture. He's saying the very scriptures that you pour over and scrutinize and think about every word, these testify about me. And you missed it, right? And as a result, you are unwilling. Notice the issue is the will. Sometimes we just try to make excuses for people. Well, they never heard. Or, well, you know, that we make excuses for unbelievers. And often we shouldn't do that. Why? Because the issue is often the will. They don't desire. You are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. You'll search the scriptures, but you are unwilling to come to me, the Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God. I want to tell you something this morning. It has to do with our lives today and people that are in this world today. And that's the fact that there are all kinds of unbelievers that scrutinize the Bible. All kinds. It's, maybe it's for they, they, they treat it as great literature. Maybe they're in a they're they're Greek experts and they want to they use the Bible, the New Testament, because it's the best example of Koine Greek. I mean, there are people who do that. Maybe they're writing a book, even a commentary. There are commentators that are unbelievers. Maybe they want to disprove the Bible. We have a lot of people out there that are reading it closely, but they want to disprove it. They want to find a contradiction. And then there are other people who simply want to use it to win an argument. They want to maybe justify their lifestyle and they use the, the Bible or abuse it. But they try to zoom in and understand something so that they can use it for their own purposes. Those are all the wrong reasons. They're the wrong reasons to study and search the scriptures. And the problem is, of course, they, have, they don't come with belief. Like, like the book of Hebrews says, you did not mix the promises, the word of God with faith. That's the missing ingredient. Without that, they're just words on a page. So the issue always is when you're talking about scripture, you're talking about people, 
The key question is not, are you searching the scriptures? The key question is, why? Why are you searching the scriptures? And I think from time to time, we have to ask the same question. We, you know, we're, it's fantastic that we, we have a ministry where the focus is the word of God. But we still need to take care that we don't slip out of the, the issue that Jesus Christ is Lord, the issue that we are hearing the words of God, and start getting into an academic approach to the scriptures. I know this, I know that, I know the Greek, and so forth. So even though we're believers, we have to be careful of the same thing. And then, of course, the second question is, do you believe what they say? There are plenty of people who will read the Bible, but they don't believe a word of it. I don't know why I always think of that, but I think of Thomas Jefferson. He was a great scholar. He read his Bible cover to cover, but you know what he did? He didn't believe any of the miracles. He didn't believe that Jesus was God. He took out of his Bible. He had his own Bible, which meant, you know, he was studying it a lot. But he took out passages that he didn't like. Because he didn't believe it as the word of God. Well, these are the scribes and Pharisees. They definitely knew their Bible, right? The Old Testament scriptures. They knew it inside. They knew it out. They debated minute details of the scriptures. <laughs> Nevertheless, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. I want you to turn now to Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Romans chapter 9, verse 30. There's a stumbling stone that the Jews by and large stumbled over. In, their, in the way they approached God, in the way they approached God's word. They saw it the wrong way. They saw it the wrong way. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse 31. Let's start in verse 31. But Israel. Now to set this this framework, okay, it's important that you understand Romans 9, 10, and 11 are talking about the Jewish people. They're not talking about the church. That's important because many people want to use what, what Paul is writing about the situations of the Jews and they want to select a passage and say, well, this applies to the church. None of it does. It's all explaining the fact that, you know, he says, listen, I grieve for my people, people Israel. At one point he says in chapter 9 that I would be willing to give up my own salvation if it meant the conversion of my people. That's how, that's how much he wanted them to believe, and they wouldn't. He described their past, how they didn't believe. He describes the present situation and then the future where they finally will. So in any event, we're in chapter 9 of the book of Romans, verses 31 to 33, and Paul writes this. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, that's what they did. They searched their scriptures. They were pursuing the law of righteousness, but they didn't arrive at it. How can that be? How can they be the, the scholars, know the word inside out, but miss the whole point? They didn't arrive at that law. Why? Here's the reason why. Because they did not pursue it by faith. They didn't believe. They didn't understand that the whole issue was faith, even though in their own Torah, it spells out what it was that was great about Abraham. It wasn't his works. It was the fact that he believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not by not by following the law, but by believing in the Lord. 
They, they, they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They thought that they could earn their own salvation. They thought that they could somehow figure out how to live so that they would be righteous before God on the basis of their works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. And that's a quotation he gives us next from the book of Isaiah that we've been studying. Just as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion. I say that Isaiah, by the way, is because they should have known this. The Jewish leaders, the aristocracy, the scholars, if they had just believed what Isaiah said, they would have understood this. I lay in Zion, that's Jerusalem, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. It meant that this is, of course, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that the rock that followed them was Christ. And so um, Isaiah is saying the Lord is laying a stone there, a stone of stumbling. He's putting it there so that you who think you can you know, earn eternal life by works will stumble over it. And that's the person of Christ. That's that's the fact that he's the redeemer, the fact that he's the Messiah, the fact that he's the son of God. Paul talks about the fact they stumbled over that. The stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Yet, there it is again. It's so straightforward. It's so clear in the word of God. He who believes in him, and notice it's a him, H-I-M, the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense, is a man, or God, the God-man, the Messiah. He who believes in him, the issue is belief, will not be disappointed. So that's what happened. The Jewish leaders, they stumbled over that stone. They poured through the scriptures. But they were always asking, they asked the wrong question. They always poured through the scriptures to find out what they should do, what they should do. Remember, there was a man one time, I think it was a a scribe that came to Jesus and asked him the question, what must I do to earn eternal life? And he, by that question, he knew he had stumbled over the stumbling stone. Because you can't do anything. That's why he gave him an impossible task after that. He says, listen, just go sell all you have and follow me. (laughs) You might as you know, because nothing you ever do. Right. The issue was not what the issue always is. Who? Who are you looking for when you search the scriptures? Whose word are these scriptures? They should have wanted. They should have desired. To know who these scriptures pointed to. That ought to have been foremost in their minds and in their hearts. They'd be searching, believing. If you want to know, you'll know. If you desire to find out, you will, it will be revealed to you. But they didn't. They had no interest in who the scriptures pointed to. Please turn to John chapter 6, verse 28. John chapter 6, verse 28. It's not what, it's who. It's not, it's not your works, it's his accomplishments. Look at John chapter 28. John chapter, there is no 28. John chapter 6, <laughs> verse 28. Again, same crowd, Jewish establishment, Jewish people. Therefore, they said to him, notice the question. You, you know they're off base by their very first word, right? What? What should they be asking? Who? It's not up there anymore. Who? But they didn't. They, they said to him, what shall notice? We do. That's what the people want to know. That's why people join religions. 
because they want somebody to tell them, look, you do this, you're cool. You do this and God will love you, right? And that's where religion comes from. You know, you, you participate in the sacraments. You, you follow the five pillars of Islam. You follow the eightfold way, the Buddha. There's always what you have to do. Jehovah's Witnesses, my goodness, they, they just, they, they're like the Jewish leaders. They come up with all kinds of things that you got to do. They keep their people so busy on a works program. That's why they're knocking at your door. They think if they do enough doors that they're going to be one of the 144,000 special people. What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Notice Jesus' answer, though, in verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. It's not what you do. It's the work of God. And what is it? That you may believe. It's so simple. It's so straightforward. I don't know how anybody can miss the simplicity of this. The issue is always, who do you believe? That you may believe in him, and notice again, whom the Father has sent. Jesus says that over a dozen times. I haven't counted. I probably should. That, hey, listen. I'm the one that God the Father sent. Because you see, if they believe that, then they'll believe the rest. Right? But they don't believe that. They won't believe that. They refuse to believe that. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom God has sent. And you know, these scholars, they were so learned in the scriptures. They knew knew every word, and they missed that. They missed that. Yet, a man that we have already come across... Back in John chapter 1, a simple man from Galilee didn't miss it. Found Jesus Christ in the scriptures. Look at John chapter 1, verse 44. John chapter 1, verse 44. High priests, they missed it. Pharisees, they missed it. Scribes missed it. Philip, probably a fisherman, didn't miss it. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, and notice what he said to him. We have found him. Who? We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. He said, listen. I I know that Moses wrote about him. I know that the prophets wrote about him. And now we found him. Jesus of Nazareth is the one that Moses in the law wrote about. And the prophets wrote about. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He knew it. He believed it. Now, sometimes we... I am guilty of this, too, that I think of the fact that maybe, maybe Philip sort of was supernaturally inspired. And, of course, he was at some level. But the fact of the matter was is that he found Jesus in the scriptures. He found Jesus in the in the in the books, right, the writings of Moses and in the prophets. Amazing when you think about it. Simple fisherman. And he found this. He, found, he must have found this. We've seen it in the scriptures, in the Old Testament scriptures. Eternal life can only be received through this one whom God sent. What must I do to earn eternal life? Nothing. You must believe the one who God sent. That's the only way you can receive eternal life. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him 
has eternal life. By the way, he said that in a private meeting he had with Nicodemus. Do you want to know something about Nicodemus? He was one of these learned leaders. And Jesus was amazed that he didn't get this. How can you be a teacher of Israel and not understand what I'm saying? Nicodemus had the same trouble for a while anyway. Where's the birthday cake? Eternal life can only be received through this one whom God has sent, his son Jesus. As we see from Philip's words, the Old Testament definitely, the scriptures of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, definitely bore witness of him. This is a whole amazing subject. It's so, I, I, I always enjoy when I have a chance to look at this. The question is, is what, what does the, what the Old Testament scriptures say about the coming Messiah? It's sometimes it's, called, it's known as messianic prophecy. There's so many of them. In the Torah, in Genesis, and Deuteronomy, in the prophets, especially in the Psalms, so much information. Of course, you'll only receive it as such if you believe it. If you believe it, that okay, they were all looking forward. I believe that. I believe that they knew that God had a son. I believe they knew that a Messiah was coming, and therefore they were able to search the scriptures and find him. It's the same thing with us. We have the incredible benefit, however, of first of all, as believers, having the Holy Spirit inside us to point these things out to us. We also have the New Testament, which is the best documentation on the Old Testament. I mean, there are so many passages in the New Testament that quote Old Testament passages in connection with the person of Christ. All right. For example, let's look at Luke. I want to see what, what Jesus says in Luke chapter 24 starting in verse 25. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 25. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're in John, just go back one book. And not even that much, because it's the very end of the book, Gospel of Luke, that we're talking about. Luke chapter 24, verse 25. Here he's on that road to Emmaus, for those of you that know what I'm talking about. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. Peter and John have already found the empty tomb. And that evening, these men were walking on a road to Emmaus, a few miles away from Jerusalem. And they were in mourning. They were saying, we thought he was the Messiah, and yet he's died. And then, of course, Jesus says, you know, who, what happened? The, the one to whom it happened was asking him, what, see, Jesus got out of such human when you think about it. He just died and rose from the dead. And people are talking about how terrible it is that he died. And he's saying, I don't know, who, who are you talking about? In any event, this is what he told them. He said to them, oh, foolish, notice this, oh, foolish men and slow of heart to what? Believe in all that the prophets have spoken. What does that tell you? The prophets have spoken about Jesus. In particular here, they spoke about his death and his resurrection, but they're slow to believe it. That's the problem. Then verse 26, was it not necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer all these things and to enter into his glory? And then verse 27, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. In all of them. 
In other words, the best teaching ever on messianic prophecy happened that evening with these guys. What? How could you possibly match up with Jesus himself? Think about it. He's explaining where all the Old Testament scriptures pointed to him. Amazing. Now, do they appreciate that? We don't know. Do they believe him? We don't know. We already know these guys were foolish and slow of heart. Which, by the way, was why following up with that, all the New Testament scriptures were written. So then they had it in writing. And Matthew would say, well, you know, when this was said in the prophet Isaiah, it was pointed to him. When, 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 When Luke will have the Jesus himself in the synagogue and quoting Isaiah 61, it's saying, this has been fulfilled in your presence. So we have all of this proof in the New Testament scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that the Jews had been waiting for. Please turn to Isaiah Wait. now. Speaking of Please. Isaiah, let's look at an example of that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah verse chapter six. 9, verse 6. Yeah, let's give you a moment to get to Isaiah. All I saw was my face. Yeah. Isaiah 9, verse 6. I'm putting another plug for Bible study on Thursdays. We've been pouring through those scriptures, and hopefully we've been doing it with a believing heart because there's so much in the Bible. Isaiah, some call him the fifth gospel writer. That's how much information pointing forward to Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, there is. In the book of Isaiah. In any event, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us. Now remember, this is Isaiah around 740 B.C. at this point. Telling the Jewish people, especially the leaders in Jerusalem. Does that sound familiar? Or the same kind of people that Jesus is running into now. He's telling them, a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. In other words, you should look for this one. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. He'll be a wonder. You should, he will be the prophet that the Father has sent. The mighty God. So can, can any Jewish person who believes the book of Isaiah doubt the fact that this child who was born is, is God? Can they? Not if they know verse 6, right? His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and notice this, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You see, in Isaiah 6, we get the same information that, that Jesus is going to say in the Gospel of John. I and the Father are one. It's in the book of Isaiah, Prince of Peace, and there will be no end to the increase of his government or on peace. This, of course, is the second time he comes, still future. There will be no end to the increase of his government or peace. Prince of Peace, and on the throne of David, Messiah, and over his kingdom, to establish his kingdom and uphold it with justice mm-hmm. and righteousness. Those are such important words, see, in the, in the prophet Isaiah, justice and righteousness. Writing in a time where there was tons of injustice and hardly any righteousness. But Jesus will come and set up a kingdom that was all it'd be about, justice and righteousness, from then on and forevermore. This child who will be born will, will have a kingdom that will last forever. That's not any, that is not any human, right? right? If it lasts forever, that's God in the flesh. You see, they should have recognized that. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. 
I mentioned this already, all right, but this is an important principle. A lot of people miss this, by the way. A lot of people don't understand that if you want to understand the Old Testament, now we have an amazing revelation, a set of revelations called the New Testament. And that's the best way to understand the Old. It's the completion. It's the rest of the story. It will, if you if you focus and you have heart, eyes in your heart, you'll be seeing what the Lord has to say. You will see that the whole Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, is all about Jesus Christ. And so, and so, this principle of the Old Testament be explained by the New is never more critical than when you're talking about prophecies of the coming Messiah. I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 is a sermon, if you call it that, that Paul is preaching to the Jewish people. We, we, we think of him, and rightly so, as the apostle to the Gentiles, and he was. But he started as one witness to the Jews. Remember, he writes in Romans to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So this is actually um, a sermon, a preaching that he gave to the Jewish people. Notice what he says. Notice how he get, wants them to understand who Jesus is. That's always the question. And we preach to you, verse 32, the good news of the promise made to the fathers. That's where he starts. He's saying you're Jewish. They're old, the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. There was a promise made. It was made to the fathers. That's beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham received a promise that God has fulfilled this promise to our children. How? How did he fulfill the promise to Abraham? That his seed would, would bless the whole world. How did he fulfill it? He raised up Jesus. How did he fulfill the promise to David that he would have a son that would reign on his throne? How did he fulfill it? He raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm. Now, this is going to tell you, wait a minute. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the resurrection. And then he quotes from the second Psalm. What does that tell you about the second Psalm? It's about, thank you, it's about Jesus. Well, the fancy word is a messianic prophecy. Talking about Jesus. Well, what, what does God say in, in Psalm 2? You are my son, today I have begotten you. You are my son, today I have begotten you. So that, and now uh, here Paul is saying, when the Lord inspired the psalmist to write that, he was talking about Jesus. Psalm 2 talks about Jesus. Then he, then he goes on, as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, resurrection of Christ is so critical to preach as part of the gospel. It's, it's what Peter and Paul did over and over and over again. Uh, Paul devotes uh, chapter 15 to this very subject, proving that Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 34, as for the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, no longer to return to decay. It's forever. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. By the way, that's a quote from Isaiah. What does that tell you? You already saw it this morning. What does it tell you about the book of Isaiah? 
It's talking about Jesus. This isn't complicated, folks. But the issue is, is that since we can see it, then you have to ask the question, why didn't they believe it? The people to whom it was written, why didn't they believe it? For day, then he goes on, verse 35. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, this is Psalm 16, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. So Jesus was raised from the dead, no longer to return to decay. Psalm 16 says, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. So who is the Holy One in Psalm 16? Very good. (laughs) Yes. And by the way, there's dozens more. I just picked three today. There's dozens and dozens and dozens. Do you want to know the best way to identify particular passages in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus as the King, as the Messiah? What do you think is the best way to find those? Anybody? Anybody at all? I just told you, by the way. The New Testament. Thank you very much. What's what's Acts chapter 13? Where do you find that? In the New Testament. Matthew has them. Mark, Luke, John. Paul's letters are full of quotations, citations from the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. There's dozens and dozens and dozens. Today we just looked at three of them. Psalm 2-7. That was the first quote. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Isaiah 55-3. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. And then Psalm 16, verse 10. You will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. They all spoke of Jesus the Messiah. Again, the question. How could the Jews have missed it? I want to tell you something. It's not a matter of lack of insight. It's not that they were stupid or they were not paying attention in Bible class. It was that. It was something else. It was a case of ill will. They refused. They pushed away the Lord, anything about him in the scriptures. In other words... Jesus tells these leaders, it's not a matter of can't, ability. It's a matter of won't, desire. That's the issue with the unbeliever. It's not that they can't believe. Now, they can't do anything else because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. (laughs) The one thing that they can do is believe. If they don't believe, then it's a matter of their will. It's a matter of their desire. All right. They have no desire to believe. And then Jesus is going to tell us why that is. Why don't they have a desire to believe God's word about his son? Well, look at John chapter five, verse 40. Let's go back to John from um, Acts 13. Back to our passage. Now we're in verse 40. It's not a matter of can't ability. They didn't have they didn't lack the ability to see it. They lack the desire to see it. Look, John chapter 5, verse 40. I want you to notice the key word here. John chapter 5, verse 40. It just said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life there. But these testify about me. Then he goes on in verse 40. And you are unwilling that's the issue they're unwilling they refuse they reject they push away 
They're unwilling to come to Jesus so that they may have the life they think they're searching for in the scriptures. They won't come to him. They missed it. It's not a matter of what. It's a matter of who. Now, here's the question. What made them unwilling? What made them unwilling to come to Jesus and have life? What happened? Keep reading. John chapter 5. You know how it is. If you have a question, just keep reading. Oh, I'm going backwards. Oh, these arrows are tricky. Okay. I used to have that clicker. Remember the clicker we had? Oh, yeah. That's so let's keep reading. John chapter 5, verse 41. He just said, you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You're unwilling. Verse 41. I do not receive glory from men. He's already said that before. I don't receive glory from men. I don't need the testimony of men. But I know you. Pointing to these leaders. You do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How could that be? I'll tell you what, the only way that could be, in other words, we'll see this in a minute. There are others that would come, and they would claim to be the Messiah, and they would talk about how great they are, and they would talk about how many people are following them. By the way, that still goes on today, right? How many people have you baptized? That's always the question. My answer is none, because water baptism was for the Jews. That's a whole other story. But, um, yeah. I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name. And he's proven that by now. He's had five witnesses that prove that he's coming in the God the Father's name. I've come in. What's the only way they could not accept him if they, if he's saying, I come in the name of the Father? Why wouldn't they receive him? They don't believe it. This is not complicated. They don't believe it. They don't believe it. They don't believe it. They don't believe it. I have come in my Father's name. What better, what better credentials could anybody have to come to you? I have come in the name of God, the Father, and you don't receive me. And yet, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. That's a shocking statement. It's a shocking statement when you think, it's God, hey, what? Hey, listen, there's somebody coming today. Oh, right. Well, tell me about him. God, the Father sent him. God sent this guy to you today. And then you hear the, then you hear the back door. Hey, there's this guy that's got all this wonderful things to say about himself. He's got something to sell. He's trying to start a revolution. Oh, bring him in. The heck with the one that God sent. That's basically what they did. Why? Well, first of all, we see a simple reason, or at least we're getting started, and that is they didn't love God. Now, why was this? This is another shock. Why is that? They were experts on the books of Moses. That meant they were experts on Exodus and Deuteronomy. Those are the places where the Ten Commandments are given. What's the first commandment? With all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Hmm. They didn't love God. How could that be? See, we're asking the same question. Because they didn't love God, that's how they could reject the one who came in God's name. Does that make sense? They don't love God, so why would we care that you're saying you come in his name? 
Look at John chapter 7, verse 16. John chapter 7, verse 16. Notice the issue. Notice the focus here. Men come in their own name. They're bragging about themselves. And they'll receive them. I come in God the Father's name. You don't receive me. Look at John chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine. You see, all, of, all the ones coming to them, trying to influence them, the new false prophets and so forth, and the ones that wanted to start revolutions against Rome, they would say, the teaching is mine. I've come up with this, right? Jesus said, the teaching is not mine, but he who sent me, his. If anyone is willing to do his will, God's will, how do you find God's will? How do the Jews know find where God's will is? And in the books of Moses, right, right, the Old Testament, right? All you had to do was be what willing. The issue wasn't can't. The issue is won't. They're not willing to do not Jesus' will here, but God's will, because they didn't love Him. If you'd only do that, you would know of the teaching. You could see for yourself whether this teaching is from God or whether I speak from myself, like all the false messiahs did. Verse 18, notice this. This is the whole key, by the way. We're getting close now. We're getting close to the issue of why unbelievers won't believe. Look at verse 18. He who speaks from himself, Jesus spoke from God, but he who speaks for, from himself, don't we have so many people today even per, per, saying they're Christians and all they do is talk about themselves and how great they are and how it is that look at what I'm doing in my life. That should tell you that I'm the real deal. You should listen to me, right? They're seeking their own glory. I mean, how else can you explain these people who have thousands of people in their congregation, don't teach the Bible, and, and I have to say this, they have billion-dollar home. Nothing's anything wrong with that. But when you look at the whole package, you've got to say, you know, I think they're really seeking their own glory here. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory, notice now... He's going to talk about himself. He was seeking the glory of the one who sent him. Think about who sent me. Are you seeking his glory? There's that question again. Are you seeking the glory that comes from God? He is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. God is true. There's no unrighteousness in God. There is unrighteousness in man. Why would anybody accept a man coming for his own glory when we are when we are unrighteous in our own in our in our own being, and yet that's who the Jews preferred. I mean, heck, they're gonna when Jesus Christ is is finally captured and taken before Pilate, and there's there was a tradition that that Pilate right would release a prisoner during the Passover celebration, and they and he went to them and he said, "Listen, here's Jesus. Now, again, remember, this is the one sent from God. This is God in the flesh." Here he is. I'll release him for you. Or I can release this fella, Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer, a thief, and he boasted about himself. And who did they pick? Barabbas. The Jews preferred men who spoke from themselves and sought their own glory. So what happened? Well, it's really simple. They became suckers. Don't listen to, this, is a, this is a great prayer. You don't listen to God? You're going to be a sucker for somebody else. Right? I think it was Bob Dylan who's got to serve somebody. Wasn't that Bob Dylan? 
anybody under the age of 40 is saying, who's Bob Dylan? Well, no, they know because he won a Nobel Prize, so they know Bob Dylan. Yeah, you got to serve somebody. If you're not going to listen to the true Messiah, then you're going to listen to the false messiahs. That's a principle. You don't get you don't get to become neutral, by the way, the ultimate things of God. There's no neutral. You're either seeking him or you're seeking somebody other than him. Truth lies. All right, look at Mark chapter 13, verse 5. Jesus knows this. He's going to issue a warning. Hopefully his disciples, hopefully in the future during the tribulation period, they'll hear this. Not sure they will. Not many. Mark chapter 13, verse 5. Mark's gospel. Probably probably wrote according to what Peter witnessed, probably. Because Mark's not an apostle. And even John chapter 5. No. Mark chapter 13, verse 5. Jesus began to say to them, see to it, notice, that no one misleads you. That tells you that there's going to be a lot of opportunity for somebody to mislead the Jews. Notice what he says. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. False Messiah, false Christ, and will mislead many. Many, most. Why? Because most aren't listening to what God has to say. That's why. If they listen to what God has to say, they would know Jesus already came. But they're not listening to that. All right, so now let's get back to the issue for us today. The issue you've all been waiting for, which is this question, I believe. What is it now that makes your neighbor, your sister, your brother, your friend, unwilling to believe in Christ? Don't we all want to know that? Haven't we spent time agonizing over that question? Haven't we pulled our hair out the number of times that we've poured our heart out and given them the gospel and telling them that God loves them and telling them that we don't want them to perish, haven't we? And yet those who remain unbelievers, no, sorry, I'm unwilling to believe in Christ. I mean, we think it's right in front of your nose. Why can't they believe it? Some call that the mystery of iniquity, if you ever heard that expression. It's a mystery, but it's not. That's what I'm going to show you. Jesus is not going to keep it a mystery. Okay, He was talking about people ultimately would hate him, and there'd be no reason why. Think about that. There were people who would hate him, and there's no reason why. That describes millions of people in the United States of America. I got friends who are very, very liberal, Okay, and they post stuff on Facebook. And it used to irritate the heck out of me because it'd be all anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible. I finally, I finally realized something, which is, you know, there's some of the best witnesses that Jesus is God, that the Bible is God's word. You want to know why? Because they hate him without a cause. You see, they're okay with, with Buddha. They're okay with, with Islam. They're okay with all these other things, but they're not okay with Christianity. Why? It's because all those other things are men giving glory to themselves, and Christianity is Jesus giving glory to his Father. There's no, there's no room for people to boast. They don't want that. 
And again, it's not a matter of can't, not that they don't have the ability to believe. These are smart people, a lot of them. It's a matter of won't. And the question is, why won't they? In this next verse, chapter, John chapter 5, if you go back there now, verse 44, it's, a, it's an amazing verse because Jesus is about to unmask the heart of an unbeliever, the unbelievers in general. It's, it'll be devastating. It's totally accurate. If you pay attention, this could change your life, or at least how you see unbelievers. All right? John chapter 5, verse 44. Why are they unwilling to believe in Christ, in God's word? Why do they pay no attention to God? Here's the reason. Pay attention to this, if nothing else. John 5, 44. How can you believe, notice, when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Remember, there's no neutral. It's either one or the other. Human beings either receive glory from one another or they receive glory that comes from the one and only God. One of the big reasons why the unbelievers in your life refuse to believe in Christ is because they care about the glory that comes from one another. Isn't that true? I mean, there's people who say, well, you know, I, I kind of say, but you know what? I'm going to lose friends if I believe in Christ. My family will turn their back on me if I believe in Christ. Well, wait a minute, though. Don't you care what God thinks about you? And they don't. That's the only reason why. They don't care what God thinks about them. They're receiving their glory from one another. They don't seek the glory from the one and only God. And so, see, it all comes down to this question. Very simply. From whom will a man receive glory that's the whole issue from whom will this person seek glory where are they looking right where are they looking to be honored and praised and to be thought of in high esteem that's the issue yeah if it's people then they're not going to believe in jesus i know that sounds shocking but i didn't say that jesus said that how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only god If they desired to seek the glory that comes from the one and only God, they would believe in Christ. It's that simple. And not only that, but the answer that anybody gives to this question is reveals who they love. Who do they love? You must love love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. If If anybody does that, they'll believe in Christ as the Messiah and the Son of God. Who do you love? If you receive your glory, your honor, your praise from other people, you love them. You love them. Oh, it's horrible. It's that simple. Every man and woman has to answer that simple question. There it is. Do you receive your glory from other people? Or do you seek the glory that is from God? That's the question. It's either or. That's, the, that's what's profound here. About what Jesus is saying. See, a lot of us want to say, well, there's a middle road here, right? Maybe you're already thinking that this morning. Yeah, but can't people receive a little glory from man and then a little glory from God? And the answer is no. (laughs) It's one or the other. Jesus divides. It's one or the other. 
You are either in life seeking your glory from one another. Glory means like the ultimate, the thing I care about above all things. The praise, the only praise that I care about, the only honor that I want to receive. It's either from people or it's being, you're seeking it from God. No one can serve two masters. The Jewish leaders, they sought the honor, the approval, and the praise of one another. Jesus would say to them, why is it that when you give, you trumpet it in the square? Why is that? Because they seek the glory, the approval, the honor from one another, from people. They had no interest in receiving the glory that comes from God. Look at John chapter 12 as we close this morning. John chapter 12, verse 42. Here we see it again. These are the rulers. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. Remember, for a little while, remember that expression? They were willing to listen for a little while. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. For fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Fear is a big reason why people won't believe in Jesus. Fear. But they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. See, that's one or the other. Can you see that? It doesn't say they love the approval of men. It doesn't even say more than. It says rather than. It's one or the other. That's the real cause of their unbelief. Let that sink in. The unbelievers in your life love the approval of men. They care about their reputations among men, and therefore they couldn't care less about what God thinks of them. That's simple. All right, let's let's wrap up today in John chapter five. Look at verses forty five to forty seven. Happened again today that somehow that clock went from twenty of of eleven to eleven o two. Can't explain it. It's a weird thing. John five forty five. Do you don't you do you wait? Whoa! Do not think. <laughs> Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. See, as it's, all, it's now shifted. The court case has moved away from Christ and who he is to who? His audience, the Jewish establishment. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Notice this, a shocker again. The one who accuses you is Moses. Now, by the way, right now, the one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. Here we go again. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. He wrote about me. Another shocker. To the Jews, I mean. To the ones who refused to believe that the scriptures pointed to Jesus. If you do not believe the writings of Moses, how will you believe my words? By the way, that is a that is exclusively for the Jewish people, that statement. Because because they didn't the Gentiles didn't receive the writings of Moses. Paul comes on the scene and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died and rose from the dead. But here it's pointed out that the Old Testament scriptures pointed to Jesus. Moses wrote about Jesus. If you don't believe the writings of Moses, you won't believe my words. So now the Jewish leaders are the defendants. In verse 45, I mentioned this, but must have been a complete shock to them. Complete shock. 
the one who accuses you is Moses. Think of it. Now they're on trial. Moses appears in the courtroom. They're happy that he's in the courtroom. They expect him to praise them for their adherence to the law. But does Moses praise them? No. He accuses them. What a shock that must have been. Think about that. The one thing they prided themselves on is we're disciples of Moses. And Jesus says, guess what? I'm not going to accuse you. Moses is. Absolutely. Look, he says it this way in John 7, 19. You want to go there quickly, but I'll read it to you. John 7, 19. Here's the problem. John 7, 19. Look at this. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you carries out the law. Why is that? Because they missed the whole point of it. Why do you seek to kill me? Think about it. Moses wrote about him. The whole law points to him. They don't carry out the law. It's obvious because they actually want to kill the Messiah, the prophet who is to come. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. That's what Jesus said. Moses wrote about Jesus. Now, Moses, okay, wrote the Torah. Just so we walk through this, just a tad. I don't run out of time. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. All right, so you want to know who wrote Genesis? It's Moses. Okay, Leviticus, Moses. Right, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I skipped one, but it's Moses. Ex- how can I skip Exodus? Yeah, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. That means that those first five books point about Jesus. The New Testament cites the Torah a lot, and it talks about Jesus. Peter, in his first speech, cites Deuteronomy and Genesis as pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 3. That's Moses and Elijah were there. So the point is that the key that opens up the door to understanding the entire Old Testament now, let's think about this. That's why we don't want to get too fixated on this verse or that verse, because the fact is that the entire Old Testament points to the person of Jesus. That's the whole point of it. All right. Jesus at the end said that, listen, while I was still with you, this is Luke 24. You don't have to turn there, but I'll put the scripture up because we, we got to. He says, listen, when I was with you, there were words that I spoke to you. All the things that were written about me and the law of Moses, he says, and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he gave them the key. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. If they had believed Moses, they would have believed Jesus. Since they did not believe his writings, Moses, they didn't believe the words of Jesus. How did Jesus know that? Simple. Testimony of Moses and Jesus matched perfectly. There was nothing that he said that couldn't be backed up by the writings of Moses alone. Therefore, if they were rejecting Jesus... It has to be that they're also rejecting Moses. Does that make sense? If you accept the writings of Moses as talking about Jesus, you will accept the words of Jesus. Therefore, if you don't accept the words of Jesus, that proves that you don't accept the words, the writings of Moses. And the fact of the matter is, if they wouldn't listen to Moses and the prophets... They're not ever going to be persuaded, even if somebody rises from the dead. Let's close. Father.
we thank you this morning that we're able to gather together. We just praise you for the immensity of your word. Even in these few verses in John chapter 5, it opens up a whole world. It opens up our understanding of the hearts of unbelievers. It opens up our understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. We ask you now, Father, that we would carry that out in our lives, that when we come across an unbeliever now, we understand to look for where they place their glory. And what do they think about seeking the glory of God? When we think about the Old Testament scriptures, we should go help us to go confidently, knowing that they talk about Jesus, knowing that the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus point to Jesus, knowing that the writings of Isaiah point to Jesus, knowing that the Psalms point to Jesus, the Messiah. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Next time we'll be here Thursday, Bible study, 630. All right. Now you know how to get there. I know all of you here know how to get here because you're here. So we're also on Skype for those of you that can't make it. Remember that um, Christians are called, if I could use that word, to provide financial support to those who are in unfortunate circumstances and to the preaching of the word. However, there should never be forced or cajoled, or any other way to try to make it not an issue of their will, but an issue of somebody else's will. In other words, if I said you have to tithe, right, that would mean you have no choice in the matter, right? Doesn't it? You have no choice. God says you have to do it. God doesn't say to the Christian you have to tithe. But what he asks for is for us to be grateful and out of, and, and just freely give like he freely gives. Right. So keep that in mind. Um, it's not a matter, it's like Paul said, it's not a matter really at the end of the day of our needs. It's a matter of you being blessed by the Lord, right? Meaning the fact that the, not financially, but that the Lord says, you know what? This giving of yours, that looks like me. And, I, and I'm going to, that goes to your account with me. However, that's working. God's. Again, it's not how man, it's the same principle for giving. Don't think it's man. That's going to give you glory for giving, right? You're giving glory to your father. You're seeking out God and his glory. All right. Remember the gospel is really straightforward. Okay. We're all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every human being. The law is not going to help you with that. It doesn't matter what works you do. You can never achieve God's righteousness that way. There's only one way. To understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Jewish Messiah, and that he was born of a woman, the God-man, and he went to the cross and he died for our sins. That's the only way. And then he was buried and then he was raised from the dead. Whoever believes in him will never perish but has eternal life. (laughs) And God justifies the sinner who believes. That's it. Believe in the Lord and you'll be saved. you, You are justified by faith, not of works as any man should boast. That's the simplicity of the gospel. All right, let's close in prayer one other time. Father, we thank you for the simplicity and clarity of your word. We ask help help us to remain in the simplicity and purity of devotion to your son. We ask this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen.